It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here as always with Zerlina Maxwell, but right now we are joined by one of our absolute favorite activists and writers to talk to, Raquel Willis. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Pride. Good morning. I am doing well. You know, Pride is always exhilarating, but of course, exhausting too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. (laughs) Well, especially... For you, I mean, you were one of the organizers of Brooklyn's Liberation Action for Trans Youth. It's one of the largest movements for Black trans lives. Uh, You had one of the the biggest turnouts that we've ever seen this year. Um, Talk a little bit about what happened uh, on June 13th. Yes, well, of course, thank you so much, Zerlina and Jeff. So much love for the work that you do. Um, Yeah, you know, this was our second iteration last Sunday. And this year, uh, Mm -hmm. we really kind of shifted our efforts and focused on trans youth. And so it was all about having speakers who could speak to what it's like being young, trans, and or non-binary at this time, because oftentimes we don't hear those voices. It's also true. I mean, 2020 was the... The 2020 was the deadliest year for Black trans lives, and that has not been a, a prominent part of the story of 2020 and all of the tragedy that we experienced as a country. So I think to see to see those voices all in one place, all saying what they're saying, like that that matters. That that needs to be more front and center in our national discourse at all times. And, uh, you know, thank you for giving that a space and as big and, and joyful and beautiful a space as it was. Of course. Yeah. You know, that first iteration last June, uh, you know, we were floored to see upwards of 20,000 folks coming out in support specifically for Black trans lives. You know, it, it really was sparked in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd, um, literally just two days after he was murdered, a young black trans man named Tony McDade was murdered in Tallahassee, Florida. And so that coupled with this increased trend of violence against black trans women in particular, we just knew that there needed to be a moment where we elevated all the black trans folks who are often left out of the narrative. And a large part of that is because there is a bit of a respectability around who is considered a worthy enough victim in our society. One of the things I think that's been happening this pandemic year is I feel like um, people are using the tools that we had um, at the time, which are the digital tools, because we couldn't talk to each other in person. So we're using a lot of digital tools to educate others about all kinds of stuff. I mean, going back to last summer through the racial reckoning, I feel like social media in a way has become a place where people are teaching. And I'm also finding that's true during this Pride Month. Um, not just educating people about the fact that it was the deadliest month or deadliest year, excuse me, for, for trans people in 2020, but just all of the other aspects of 
um, the experience, the good, the good and the bad. Um, what, in what way do you think that kind of sort of activism, quote unquote, um, is helpful to the cause of making sure that um, the experiences of trans people are centered in our conversations about policy or centered in our conversations about politics. Um, because I feel like I've never maybe even before this year's pride seen so much just in, in by way of educational content um, about mm-hmm. the lived experience um, of LGBTQ plus people um, than ever before. Like this year, my social is like, I don't know if it's just more Gen Z's I'm following. I don't know what it is, but I feel like people are trying to educate others. Um, and I guess my my I, it was a long question. It's early, um, okay. um, but but essentially my question is: In what way is that helpful? H- has that been helpful in in intangible ways? Yeah. Well, you know, I I want to clear the air first and say. You know, I like to be honest and say that it can be a a bit frustrating or draining when you've been saying that people should pay attention to certain issues for a long Mm -hmm. time and then they finally get on board, right? Like, I think a lot of people on the margins understand that to some extent. For Black folks, we've been talking about how we can't really trust the police, right? right? We've been talking about how... Uh, the prison system was in many ways built exactly for us, right, to really strip folks out of our communities. Um, And I think for queer and trans people, and particularly trans people, we've been saying marriage equality was not enough, right? That There needed to be some substantial structural changes around employment, healthcare, housing, and of course, the violence that has been plaguing uh, trans women of color in particular for decades, if not longer. Um, so I, I do think that it is important that we see more and more folks kind of sounding the alarm, sharing more educational materials. I think public education is so important when mm-hmm. we talk about social justice, because it is true. Many folks just are not exposed to different um, experiences or Um, even more expansive versions of history as we see with all the talk around critical race theory and and being tied to 1619 Project and so much, right? Our educational system fails us when it comes to teaching empathy, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, So, yeah, I think that that's very important. And I think the other thing about it, too, is that we have to, especially those of us who have been kind of social justice minded for a while, we have to understand that everyone has their moment of entry, right? And so whether it's the murder of a specific person or it's the witnessing of some kind of moment or whatever it is, you know, it it could have been Trayvon Martin's death, right? It could have been Mike Brown's death. It could have been Rodney King's death and so much more. Everyone has their Mm -hmm. moment of entry and we have to be willing to expand this pool of knowledge. Yeah, It feels like the education is going the it, like it's it the, the river is flowing the other way like i'm you you focused on trans youth 
and I feel like the education is coming from the youth at this point, especially when we're talking about this particular aspect of social justice. I, I feel like it is the young, it is the younger generation that is teaching us and our parents and our grandparents that sort of radical acceptance and empathy as opposed to you know usually in 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 social justice movements it's like you know listen to listen to the people who have been fighting this fight for decades they they know what they're doing pay attention to them follow them and in this moment i feel like it's the kids who are just what what do you think that's about is it a is it just about being born in a world where you are connected to more people who have experiences that are unlike you, but you find commonality because of the internet? Are kids just consuming better media these days? Are they teaching themselves? I mean, Lord knows the schools aren't doing it for them. So so what is what is happening to change the flow of direction of information in this moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that Gen Z is prime to learn more, know more, teach more than generations prior. And and that's just kind of the setup of time. You know, I think obviously with the internet, um, the expansion of media in different ways, expansion of access, uh, it has given people more access to the tools and language, particularly around their own experiences and identities, right? The conversations we have about race, about gender, about sexual orientation, even about class and and ableism and so much more. Um, Most people weren't privy to those uh, conversations in the way that they are now, right? Because we are so connected through social media and the internet. Um, So I definitely think that that's important. But what I also want to add, right, is I think one thing that is important for older generations or more seasoned generations, if anyone feels away <laughs> about that, um, is, is making sure that we keep a sense of humility, especially in social justice. We have to understand that we don't have all of the answers. None of us have all the answers. Even if we get older, yes, you know, as an elder, you deserve your kudos, your respect, but that learning continues. And there's so much we can learn from from youth and particularly trans youth. I mean, they know their truth, you know, in, in stronger, deeper ways than I could have ever imagined at their their age, right? I mean, I literally just turned 30. Yeah. And and I'm lucky that I've <sighs> been able to be, you know, my full self as a black trans woman for as long as I have, right? But I am just so proud of them for being able to be themselves sooner. Absolutely. Oh, no, I feel like kids teach me something new about my identity every decade. Like I'll hear a term (laughs) that I haven't heard before and sit down and research it and be like, oh, oh, it's me. Oh, they're talking about me. Yep. Okay. Now I get it. I'm non-binary. Great. Thanks, kids. It's just, (laughs) it's absolutely wild. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know, yeah, I mean, and you know, the thing that is so important, some of uh, the young organizers and and, uh, the more seasoned organizers were talking about this ahead of the march, but um, when we think about these, like, figures that we have on these pedestals in our history, particularly LGBTQ history, like Marsha P. Johnson or Sylvia Rivera, or even our living legend, Miss Major, they were Mm -hmm. in their early 20s 
when the Stonewall riots popped off, I mean, they were young folks out there overwhelmingly. I mean, I think Sylvia literally was just turning 20 around that time. So trans youth in particular, gender non-conforming youth in particular, have always been at the vanguard, as one of our speakers, Sheer Avery, said. That's so true. So one of the things that's been happening we, all over the one of the things that's been happening sorry, go ahead, um, throughout the throughout the country um, this year is anti-trans bills and of all types. Ones that ban access to uh, health care for youth to ones that prohibit um, trans youth from playing on the sports team that they want to. And it feels to me like some of them are so random. I was like. Who was, who is it <laughs> yes. in that small little town that was like, oh, this is the major issue. And it just feels coordinated in a way that other issues like this, like abortion and, and voting rights, um, seem coordinated in this moment. Why is it that trans youth in sports or healthcare, similar to, I suppose, the earlier iteration of bathroom bills, why do they seem to always pop up? in moments like this, like when it feels like we probably should be paying attention to climate change and the pandemic and police brutality and gun violence um, and all of these other things, like they, there seem to be like major issues over here and we're, and then, but instead there's all of these bills passed to address a problem that isn't actually an issue. Um, there are, there is no issue with trans children playing sports on teams that, um, you know, where it, there's some sort of quote-unquote unfair advantage. That's not happening. That's not a problem, but they're passing laws to fix a problem that's not real. Why? Yeah, I mean, I, I think overwhelmingly there has always been a fight against trans people, gender non-conforming people. I mean, there's a long arc in our history of criminalization and policing of people who transgress gender norms, right? Or transcend gender norms going all the way back to at least the 1800s um, with someone like Mary Jones. If you, you crack open your history book or mm -hmm. your history Google. Um, so it's always been there. Even when we think about uh, the Stonewall riots. I mean, it didn't necessarily pop off only because there were people who were having relationships with uh, people of a similar gender. It was largely because people were wearing articles of clothing that didn't align with what society was saying they were supposed to be wearing, right? So a lot of this gender discourse and respectability around it has always been a part of the fabric of the conversation. So I think right now what we're seeing is the conservative right did not see any kind of uh, pushback against um, marriage equality really kind of becoming the law of the land, essentially. And and they've moved on, right, I think, to, to the next group that has been largely unprotected. And so trans folks were sitting right there. And, you know, yeah, I, I think it's, it's important for us to name that we have had opportunities within the LGBTQ plus movement, particularly 
the gatekeepers who are often cisgender, meaning not transgender at all, um, and, and able to kind of assimilate more and white and, and more privileged to build in protections around employment and healthcare and all of these different things, but chose to go the route of marriage equality because the idea was like, well, if we could get straight people to see that we're just like them, then we'd be fine. But that respectability has not mm-hmm. really saved any of us because even this LGBT LGB folks don't have protections, mm-hmm. which is why we're we're still fighting for the Equality Act. Right. No, oh, it it there's there is so there's so much energy right now, but there's also so much backlash, and there's always backlash where there's energy. And I think keeping up that fight, keeping up that momentum, how do we keep it past June? I am so sick of everybody putting up their trans flags and their, you know, their little squares on Instagram and corporations offering things for, for Pride Month. And then come July, we're right back to the same system that we've always been in and no one is talking about it again. How, how do people who were inspired by what happened on June 13th, who are hearing you right now, who just watched the finale of Pose, whatever your point of entry, and I love that thought, whatever your point of entry was, what's the, what are some of the ways that we can keep it going past Pride Month? Yeah, I mean, I think it's people committing to literally making a commitment to social justice and understanding that that is a lifelong commitment. There's no kind of easy way out. You can do it and you check it off. You get your <laughs> your Girl Scout, Boy Scout. I have social justice for the day. Now I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's making that commitment. I think it's continuing to stay engaged in these conversations, showing up with the facts whenever you hear kind of foul things out there that are not based in, in accurate information. Because I think a lot of the word of mouth um, travel of this education is, is probably stronger than anything else we can put out there. I think it's continuously donating to, uh, for me, it's particularly Black, queer, and trans-led organizations, but definitely just grassroots organizations moving this work for our community. A lot of times you only hear about, you know, the same five or so national organizations and they get all of this funding, honey, and they gatekeep, you know, like any mm-hmm. other industry, yeah. right? So it's important to get engaged with the groups around you because I I guarantee you wherever you live, there is some fierce, brilliant trans person leading some effort that needs your support. Uh, so I think those are those are some of the starting points and, and really committing also just to to showing up against transphobia whenever it wears its head in family, whatever institutions you're a part of, work, places of worship, school, and more. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like that's such good advice. Usually, I feel like people go to like the national organizations to donate, but your point about finding that activist or that local community organization is so crucial um just yes. mentioned pose and um it made me um think think that since we have you um i just reflect on pose a bit because i'm both like sad but also in awe 
right? I don't, I, I have like these two emotions, yes. right? I'm really sad. This is horrible. I'm so upset that this beautiful thing is not going to be, there's not going to be any new um, content made. Um, but what was made was so amazing and transcendent that it feels like, in a way, I'm sad, but also just like in awe of what they were able to accomplish in terms of putting that on the screen, putting those stories on the screen that we've never seen before. Um, so I guess just love on pose for a little bit because <laughs> I, I'm I'm sad and in awe both at the same time. Yeah, I mean, when I first saw Pose, what, I guess it was some three years ago. Um, yeah. I was watching with two of my um, Latinx homies in Oakland, which was really great. But it was so beautiful for us. I, I We were just kind of watching almost mouth agape because we hadn't really seen ourselves as the main character on a television show, right? And it's network television, right? So so we're seeing MJ Rodriguez. We're seeing India Moore. We're seeing Dominique Jackson. We're seeing all of these folks um, showing up in a different way. Um, and it was powerful. You know, we got to see a glimpse of love you know we got to see a glimpse of yeah. family mm-hmm. um we saw people striving um for careers in the later seasons we saw people as activists during the hiv aids uh crisis or the emergence of it so it was a powerful um melting pot of all of these narratives that we knew existed, but we just needed to kind of see reflected back at us. Now, let's be clear. I think the, the life of Pose as a show, as a, as a property, it wasn't an easy one, right? There were right. plenty of snubs along the way, plenty of yeah. ways in which it was not taken as seriously or acknowledged for its groundbreaking manner, right? And I think that that's a testament to the things that we need to continue to shift in Hollywood and shift in society to recognize trans brilliance when they see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say I'm excited that, all of these folks were able to have this platform. Janet Mock was, you know, a blowout mm-hmm. on this as yes. well. They always had like yes. black and brown, queer and trans folks as extras, right? So I know some of my people got, you know, their their IMDb pages started, <laughs> honey. So it was it was powerful. I love it. And, and they broke that barrier. So now the sky is the limit for what they can continue to do, right? And move on to to new projects and keep that momentum going. I'm so proud. I mean, just being able to see the variety of stories to like that, that, that there was, you know, a trans character that I didn't like that I wasn't rooting for, but that's okay (laughs) because there are six other trans characters that I love and identify with like that. That's, that's radical. Like being able to see an an entire community in its multifaceted gorgeousness, and and all of the complexities that come with allowing a character to develop and make choices that you love and choices that you hate and choices that make you want to hug them, well, crap. That's how we relate to our media. 
Like that's how mm-hmm. it's supposed to work. <laughs> and the fact yeah. that this is the first time that we've seen it on the screen in these numbers. Um, yeah, no, I, you can't put that back in the bottle. You can't. And, and it really was, you know, this apex of what's considered the trans visibility era. Um, or, or people say, you know, the trans visibility moment, right? But I like to think of it as an era, thinking when uh, Laverne Cox was, right, when Laverne Cox played as uh, Sophia Bursette in Orange is the New Black, that was kind of the the shift, I think, in a lot of ways, that first kind of crack in the door. And, and Pose really emerged as, like, the apex of that, right? The door was was uh, a bit wider open, right? We'll see how wide it is in the next few years. Um, but folks are moving and, and doing this important cultural work, and we can't ignore that stories are organizing tools, right? Whether they're fictional or yes. uh, true to life, they are organizing tools, and folks need to see more and more of these stories so they can understand what our experiences are all about. It really makes a difference. I mean, my parents are both retired and they both asked me about gender pronouns because of something they saw on the television show. (laughs) I believe it was billions was the context. Both of them (laughs) individually. And so I I was like, what? I'm so excited you are asking me this. They're like, I have a question. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I have a question, you know. And so it was just, it was completely earnest and genuine and they were educated on something they ha- they just weren't familiar with. Because um, I think it is generational in some ways. Um, and the language and, and, you know, understanding all of it. We're all learning. And we're all afraid to say the wrong thing, I think. So it's always good to have that private conversation with someone. And not shame them for, for not understanding. But really being no. proud of them for wanting to know. I mean, I think pop culture is the entry point. That's what we talk about it all the time. That's your way in, and it's a good no. Thing. I've I've regularly had conversations where I have to give people uh, a few accounts, like tell I recommend Pose, I recommend Disclosure, the documentary, I recommend a couple of books, and I recommend a couple of accounts to follow. And one of those that I always recommend is yours. <laughs> so you can follow <laughs> Raquel on Twitter at, at Raquel Willis underscore, also on Instagram. Um, your work is just, it's joyous and it it brings me it brings me immense joy to watch you do it thank you so much for uh what you did on june 13th and whatever the hell you're gonna do next thank you <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> and thank y'all yes join us easy. anytime we love talking to you we'll be back tomorrow with another signal boost podcast thanks for listening 